0: Again, thanks for joining us and enjoy today's message.
1: How many of you were unable to be here last Sunday for round one? Go ahead and raise your hand. It's okay. I mean, things happen. All right, I want to just cover for you a few things that were covered in round one last week. And the first one's on the side screen. Salvation is the beginning of a relationship. It is not just a one-time event. A wedding is an event. A marriage is a relationship, are you with me? When you give birth to a child, that is an event. Raising that child is a relationship. So you started a relationship with God when you accept Christ as your savior. And then here's the second one. When you are saved, you become his child. So now God is not just God, God becomes your father. And that will never, ever change. The next thing you need to see is that the enemy's always going to lie to you and tell you if you fail, you can no longer follow. If you fail, you can no longer follow. And then I gave this story about Simon Peter, how he, would, he said he didn't even know who Jesus was. He goes BC, which means he goes back to doing the things he did and living the way he lived before Christ, before he knew Christ. He goes back to the boat. And when he did that, Jesus goes after him. And when Jesus goes after him, he fixes him breakfast. Now, I don't know about you, but man, if, if I see you in the mall and you don't act like you don't know me and you disrespect me, I'm probably not going to want to fix you breakfast in the next three days. Are you with me? But when Jesus goes back, when Jesus goes after a child who fails, he goes after him in a very loving way. And then the next thing I want you to see is not only are you going to fail and everybody fails and everyone has failed, it's the question is how quickly are you going to start following again? When you fail and everybody who's ever followed Jesus fails because your mind's not saved and your body's not saved, you're going to fail. So when the enemy tries to hit you with guilt and said, therefore, you can't follow anymore, you embarrassed yourself. You're part of a family of God. People know about what you did. You said something stupid. We all say something stupid. But man, the enemy's going to tell you when you've done that, "Mm -mm, no, you can't follow anymore. But the trick is, and the question is, if you will just say, but I still love you, and get following him again very quickly, man, your life's going to turn around. Because here's what God God is the God of again. Our God is the God of again. And in this relationship with him, when you fail, and you will fail, relationships have their ups and downs. Every relationship does. If you're married, you can be a good husband. Or you can be a total jerk. Am I right? But it doesn't affect the relationship because of the commitment that's there. When you are saved and you're born again, you have a relationship with God. Well, here's the thing. You're going to fail. God's not going to fail. So the failing is one-sided. And even when you fail, your God is still faithful to you. Notice with me in Isaiah on the side screen. For the mountains may move. The hills disappear, but even then my faithful love for you will remain. My covenant, my promise to bless you will never be broken, says the Lord, who has mercy on you. Man, big things are going to change. Drastic things are going to happen around your life. But his promise to love you, his his promise to bless you is always going to remain strong regardless of whether you're tucked in close or you've slipped far away. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5 says this, For God has said, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. Now, the Bible talks about a relationship that we have with God, kind of like a husband and wife, a bride and a bridegroom. Now, if you go to any wedding, you will know there's a time in that wedding where vows are spoken, and the husband says, I promise to love you, to keep you, to provide for you, as long as we both shall live and faithfully keep unto you. Right? And then the wife says, I promise to honor and respect you and love you and keep faithfully unto you. Right? Something like that. And probably in a deeper voice, I don't know, but anyway. But God said this here's our relationship. I promise, right, that I will never fail you and I will never abandon you. Notice what He didn't say. I promise that we will never fail each other and we will never abandon each other. Now, why didn't He say that? Because he knew your unsaved mind and your unsaved body couldn't keep your end of the bargain. So he, instead of talking about what you might or you might not do, he talks about regardless of what you do, this is what I'm going to do. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why a comeback is available to every child of God again and again and again and again. It's not about you having one comeback. It's not about you having two a year. It's not about you having two a month. It's about you having a comeback every time you fail while you are trying to follow. You just tuck right back in. Your comeback ought to be daily. Your comeback ought to be weekly because of the fact that your heavenly father will never give up on you. Man, let me pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would just allow your word to get into us as we dive into it. And I thank you for nudging every person in this room for being here today. Because here's what I know looking around the room. Whether we've ever admitted it or not. There are people in this room that have been so badly beat down. Maybe by somebody that spoke words over them and they didn't even know. The person that spoke it didn't even know the damage that was done. Maybe it was an ex who said, you'll never really be loved. You're not lovable. You're never going to find what it is you think you're looking for. Lord, there, there may have been things that have been spoken over people in this room where their lives have been changed because of a beat down. Now, Father, I pray that you would help us to understand how you manipulate everything that has happened in our life for our good. And I pray in the name of Jesus that every person in this room would experience an epic comeback from the beatdowns that they've had. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, real quickly, I want to read the story. We're going to throw it up on the side screen, but a little background of the story. The story is about God's children, and God has always had his children who trusted him. They're called the Israelites. Israelites. And the enemy in this story are the Philistines, and God's children have always had enemies. You will always have an enemy that's trying to destroy your life. Once you said, Father, be my, Jesus, be my Lord and Savior, and you became a child of God, you have an enemy that is set up against your happiness, against your joy, and against your future. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And he does not go on vacation or back off because you've had a bad day. You have an enemy, you always will have an enemy. The story takes place back before the children of Israel had kings. If you'll remember, they were first led by judges, men that tucked close into God and then gave these people, God's people, what God wanted them to do. Later, they had their first king who was what? Anybody remember his name? First king of the children of God? Saul. After Saul, the next king, anybody remember? David, the one who wrote the Psalms, the man after God's own heart, who was David's son? Anybody remember him? Solomon, the wisest and wealthiest man that ever lived on the planet, prior to those three kings, was was a, a guy, a priest, or a judge by the name of Eli. He led the children of God for 40 years. He had a couple of sons, and there was a war that was about to break out. When all the Israelites saw the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord coming into the camp, their shout of joy was so loud it made the ground shake. Real quick, when God's children saw the Ark of the Covenant of God, look, take a look at it if you will, in case you forgot it. It is a box that was gold inlaid. In that box was a piece of manna. Remember back when God fed his children of manna, Aaron's rod. The tablets that that Moses uh, had, all those were in this box. And they were reminders to God's people of God's provision and power for his people in the past. So they felt like to have that in the camp meant that they had the confidence that the God of their past would show up today. And they were using this box as kind of a way to hype themselves up to say, we're going to be okay, we're going to be fine, we're going to to take on the enemy. Take a look, if you would, in the next verse. When that shout that shook the ground took place by the children of God, the enemy said, what's going on? The Philistines asked. What's all the shouting about in that Hebrew camp? When they were told that it was because the ark of the Lord had arrived, the enemy panicked, and this is what they said, the gods have come into their camp. Anybody got a problem with that? Okay, can I, can I say to you as the children of God that the gods of this world are helping you? Would you take offense to that? Yeah. So why is the enemy confused on exactly who is helping the children of the Most High God? You'll see that in a minute. He said this. He said, uh, uh, they panicked. The gods have come into their camp They cried. This is a disaster. We've never had to face anything. The enemy talking. We've never had to face anything like this before. Help, they said. Who can save us from these mighty gods of Israel? Again, problem with that. They are the same gods who destroyed the Egyptians with plagues when Israel was in the wilderness. Really? Uh, gods that did that? Hmm. Where would they get that? and then notice that they weren't afraid, they weren't intimidated, then the enemy might get a little intimidated by what you do, but the fight's not off because you're bold about what you think you can do and not do. goes on to say this, fight as never before, Philistines. If you don't, see, we will become the Hebrew slaves just as they've been ours. Stand up like men and fight. So the enemy fought desperately, and Israel was defeated again. The slaughter was great. 30,000 of God's children, soldiers, died that day. The survivors turned and they fled to their tents. The ark of God was captured. Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were killed. Man, that's a bad day. I'd call that a beatdown. Wouldn't you call that a beatdown? I want you to think about this for a moment. Let me give you the rest of the story. A messenger comes to tell the people of Israel what had happened about all the 30,000 people that were killed, and and Eli hears about it. He's an old man. He's in his 90s, I think, and he's blind, and he's sitting on a stool on a road, and Eli hollers out, hey, hey, come here. What's what's all the noise about? And the messenger tears his clothes and tells Eli, 30,000 of our men were killed. The other men fled to the tents. Your two sons, dead, and the Ark of the Covenant has been taken. And the Bible says when Eli heard that 30,000 of the men were killed, he sat on his stool. When he heard that his own two sons were killed, he sat there. But when he heard that the Ark of the Covenant had been taken, he fell off his stool backwards and broke his neck and died. Now, interesting, the Bible says that Eli was very heavy, so he was a fat pastor, right? I said that correctly, and this fat pastor fell backwards, broke his neck, and died. His daughter-in-law hears that his father-in-law, her father-in-law's dead, her husband's dead, her brother-in-law's dead, and that they took the Ark of the Covenant. She goes into labor, and she dies in childbirth right after she names the baby boy Ichabob, which means the glory of God has departed this place. There's no hope. And that's what the enemy was about all the time. The enemy wanted to take the hope of the future out of the lives of the children of God. The enemy's not after your car, the enemy's not after your house, your job, the enemy's not after just your marriage, the enemy's after your hope that your marriage will ever get better again. The enemy's after your hope that you can have a better future and that you can prosper financially even though you come from generations who haven't. The enemy just wants you to lock in on no future because that's what the enemy's trying to take from you, trying to beat you down, kill, steal, and destroy so that you think that you are not who God said that you are and his promises don't stand true in your life, that he will never fail you and that he will never abandon you. So this story sheds light on many, many different things when it comes to the beatdowns you and I have had in our life. Many things. Many things. I uh, noticed in the story that 30,000 of God's kids died that day. And you might be thinking, as I have in the past, well, if God is never going to fail or abandon his kids, why did he allow 30,000 of his children to be killed in that one battle? Anybody want to join me with that little question? Thank you very much. Now, think about that. Last time I checked, the population of Grand Junction was 62,000 people. Imagine you walking through Grand Junction and every other person is dead. Imagine all of the moms who lost their sons, all of the wives who lost their husbands, all of the children who lost their fathers, all of the siblings who lost a brother. Imagine that. This was an epic beatdown to a whole new proportion. And you might be thinking, how can a father do that to his children? Well, well, well. Let's take a look at Psalms chapter 90. The Bible says, because I want to shed light, I want to shed light on looking at the death of loved ones and the death of the 30,000 from a father's perspective a little differently. Why does somebody have to die? Has you ever said that? They were such a good person. How come they died of cancer at 54 years of age? That woman was serving in the ministry at our church. How did she get cancer and die at 56? Well, Take a look, if you would, at Psalms verse uh, chapter 90. Throw that up there for me. Everybody read this together. Seventy years are given to us. Some even live to be how old? Okay, good. All right. Some even live to be 80. That's enough. How old do you think King David was, the man that was after God's own heart? How old do you think he was when he died? Anybody want to guess? He was 70 Solomon, his son, the wisest, most prosperous man on the planet, who could build a life of luxury and spa treatments around his body. Do you know how old he was when he died? 80. 80 years of age. Now, take a look now at the worldwide average life expectancy. Let's look at that. Worldwide, everyone on the planet, the average life expectancy, 70 years. How many years God say man had? 70. And notice if you would that males live to be 68 years of age on the average in four months. And females on the planet live to be an average of 72 years and eight months. Now does anybody see what I see? Why is it that men are only living 68 years and women are living 72 years? Could it be that living with you women is killing us? (laughs) Don't turn into a riot. It's all right. This is all I want you to see from this. That's not very long. That's not very long. I mean, think about where you are today. What what age are you? I mean, you may uh, beat the odds. You may go past 70. Hey, you might even make it to 80. That's cool. I play play golf with a guy who's 83 and beats me in golf every time we go out and play. That either speaks of how good he is or how, how bad I am. But it's cool if you're there. Man, I congratulate you. I, but the truth of the matter is you're, you're not meant and you were not created to stay here. You are equipped to stay here. You are created to be there. Are you with me? So the father who already said 70 or 80, 70 or 80, that's it. Okay, let me hit you from a parent standpoint, okay? And I'm taking a little bit extra time on this, but it just helps us to understand why people die, good people die when they die, okay? Let's say as a parent, you tell your kids they can stay out tonight till 7, 8 o'clock curfew, 7 or 8. I'm not really sure which, hey, watch your cell phone, I'll text you what time I want you home, Okay? And it goes without saying, you are my kids, part of my family. So don't go out there acting like everybody else's kids. You represent our family. If they were to jump off a bridge, would you jump off it? You know what I'm saying? So it goes without saying, you represent our family, okay? Now, let's just say, and this is what I want you to do. I want you to do some chores while you're out there. I want you to run some errands. And we have play and have fun, play and have fun and I'll call you home somewhere between 7 and 8 o'clock, maybe. Maybe, I'll text you. You as the parent then decide you want your kids home at 6.20, okay? And they see the text and they're like, oh, dad, I want five more minutes. No, no, I want you home. Come on, come on. Okay, here I come. The other parents who are out there with their kids go, that's not fair. That's not right. Your kids should be able to, our kids are still staying out longer. Why aren't your kids staying out? Let me ask you a question as a parent. Is it any other parent's business what time you tell your kids to come home? Yes or no? (laughs) Your heavenly father set a curfew on you. It's going to be, oh, maybe 70 maybe 80, I'm sorry, maybe 7 o'clock, maybe 8 o'clock, but you are not staying out, my child, till midnight. 1, 2, 0. You're not going to make it that late. Oh, you're not even going to stay out till 11. 1, 1, 1. You're not going to make it to 111. Somewhere between 7 o'clock and 8 o'clock, you're coming home. Okay. Now, if God for whatever reason, wants to call his children home at 5, 40. At 3, 10. At 1, 12. It is nobody's business but the father's. Are you tracking with me? These kids are called home by their Heavenly Father. They had till they were between 70 and 80, and God simply called them home early. But along with everything else that had happened in their life, this beatdown felt real. But this beatdown led to a turnaround. You see, I I never say that God can't get somebody's... Attention. I never say that that person is so far away from God and has made so many mistakes and has not followed the Lord for so many years, that they're just gone and that they're hopeless. Let me show you what I see God doing in the Bible. Number one, if you're His child, He will go after you. and he's going to fix your breakfast. That doesn't sound threatening. Breakfast doesn't sound threatening. It's breakfast. Not gonna hurt you. Number two, he paints a picture of a father who waits. He lets your life get so messed out messed up out there, prodigal, to where you're eating with the pigs and nothing's working for you, and you come to your senses going, oh, back in my father's house, I had it so much better. And he waits and watches for you to come back, and then he runs to you. <laughs> but your father God knows how to make you say yes. The Bible says he chasteneth whom he loves. And if you're his kid, he's going to love you back to him. This is what you're going to find out. If you, go, if you stop following because you failed and you don't start following right away, you're going to find out that whatever distance you are from him, whatever it is that you thought you knew how to do, won't work anymore. Simon Peter was good at fishing, and he couldn't catch any fish because he went BC until Jesus said, throw it out over there on that side. You're going to find out that the thing that you were going for, Jesus had in his hand, you're going to find out that your happiness, your joy, you're going to find out that things aren't going to work for you anymore. Your heavenly father is your father and he will not give up on you, and he will not give up on a loved one of yours that if ever followed at one time and then walked away from God. He's your father forever, and he will come get you, or he will make your life so messed up. Listen, stubbornness in a child of God is the biggest time waster you can ever experience because there is no way you're going to outlast your God and your father. How many of you have a loved one? Man. You know they got saved. You know there was a time in their life when they were sincere about their walk with God. And then they blew it. They got embarrassed. They walked away. They went B.C. And you're wondering if they'll ever come back. Would you raise your hand? You know why I don't give up on them? (laughs) Because God knows right where to touch them to make them say yes. Eli's dead. Hophni and Phinehas dead. The daughter in law dead. The new baby on the scene called There's No Hope. Samuel, raised under the mentorship of Eli, comes onto the scene. And Samuel says, Are you people ready? Ready for what? Are you ready for your comeback? (laughs) And then Samuel lays out the strategy for round three, where his people could experience the greatest epic comeback of their life. Ding! Round two's over. Round three's next week. I love y'all.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I wanna give you the opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the Book of Romans, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can do that right now. I just wanna encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord, and that you died on the cross for my sins, and that you rose again. And God, I thank you for that. I ask you now to be my savior, to guide my life, and to give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this, in your precious Son, Jesus Christ's name, amen. If you just prayed this prayer for the first time, or if you need prayer at all, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY or by email at prayer at fellowshipgj.com. Thanks again, and we hope to see you next week.